Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. I'm going to welcome two wonderful ladies here in a moment that are so different and yet so alike. But most importantly, they got together and decided to write a book. And um, the name of this book is I Wish I'd Known The Six Career Accelerating Secrets for Women Leaders. What are their names? Brenda Wenzel and Catherine Heath. And yeah, we are getting together here today to talk about what the heck is getting in our ways, if there's anything that you could think of. I mean, how often have you found yourself, like I did in the past, and feeling you have to deliver more, you have to do more, you have to become more visible in order to be ready and to be seen for the next opportunity? And I literally worked my little butt off to get there. And in the end, I was wondering, Wow, man, that was hard work. And I was wondering at some point, does it really have to be that hard? Because I saw so many people around me and it, it just felt so much or looked so much easier. Now I appreciate from the outside, it may often look easier and better than it actually is. But I, I was very self-reflective and critical of Am I uh, going down the right path? Am I making the right choices that are aligned with my values? And then how can I get to achieve my goals in the most effective possible way? And that sounds far more German than I want to sound like. But basically, that is just one of the stories that Catherine and Brenda are describing in their book. What is holding some women back from getting to where they want to be and actually how can they, they identify more strongly and quickly where they want to be and what those for them right choices are in those moments. And I could well imagine that some of you out there may ask themselves these questions exactly. So this show then is truly for you. And you have basically decided to put a little coach on your shoulder. So when you take this book in your hands, you have various chapters where you can coach yourself and you can go through exercises and understand your next career step, however you want to define career. So topics will be touched up on uh, like how to set a really meaningful vision and then build a strategy and the proper plan with milestones for your careers. But 
you also have an opportunity to learn who you truly are and what you offer and what you have to offer and how to tell your meaningful, powerful stories. How you can not just seek feedback, but get it on a regular basis so that it helps you grow further on a consistent basis. You then can prepare and practice for those best outcomes that you want to achieve. It's in your hands. And obviously, and I highlight that very, very often, how can you build those powerful networks around you? Have some cheerleaders on your side who truly are open and honest with you about anything, but also who offer you the best support possible to go in any direction you would like to go towards. And these are just a few of those topics we are going to discuss today. Obviously, as you know, um, we are also going to get an opportunity to get to know the ladies a bit better and to understand their background, how they met one another. And it's just wonderful to listen to Brenda and Catherine and follow their energy and learn a lot from them. But let me share a little bit more about Brenda and Catherine with you. They are authors and executive coaches and have spent decades coaching more than 800 women and working with women executives, middle managers, and professionals across industries and age groups. And in this book that I was just talking about, they outline six challenges or better said blind spots women commonly face on their professional journeys and map a way to accelerate through them for higher impact careers. So if you want to learn about all of these wonderful strategies, stories, and practical skills, then this book will hasten a woman's progress and impact as a professional and liberate her to excel in her career and on her own terms. That's the most important thing. And obviously, a more detailed bio can be found in the show notes. So please check out Brenda Wenzel, as well as Catherine Heath, and get in touch with them if you want to learn with and more about them as well. But for now, enjoy today's episode, and I can't wait to hear all your feedback and questions afterwards. All right, speak to you again in a moment. Well, hello and welcome. I'm so delighted to have here with me Brenda Wenzel and Catherine Heath. Hello, both. We're thrilled to be here. You are welcome. Pleasure. But uh, how are you doing today? It's a beautiful, uh, cold winter day, so it's a wonderful time to be talking about my favorite topic. Yeah, what's your favorite topic? My favorite topic is talking about women leaders and how to help them grow. And Brenda, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, We are working with so many high potential and exciting organizations around the globe and the women inside those organizations. So I'm, I'm feeling so optimistic and positive about some of the work that's going on out there that um, it's a it's a good day and it's a good week to be involved in this work. And we're we're really excited to talk with you about it because I know that you and your audience, uh, you know, do this work as well. So looking forward to diving into the conver- conversation today about the, the book. Yeah, 100%. And, and as, as you said, yeah, we are doing some work around that topic as well, quite a bit of work. Um, but you know what I'm also looking forward to is to talk to you today about how can we bring women and men leaders together and, and build some real synergies here and help to learn from and with each other. I think that's uh, an even 
I wouldn't say more exciting topic, but another one that's uh, that excites me a lot. And I know, Brenda, from our conversation, um, you feel very similar about it. But indeed, let's talk about here your latest book. I've got it here right in front of me. I wish I'd known this. And how often do I say that to myself? Where Where is the title coming from, first of all? How did you get to this title? It's coming from responses of, of women and others that we have coached over, over the years and in particular uh, around these topics. It's not unusual for us to get to the end of a coaching session with either uh, an individual or a group of, of women in particular where they say, I really wish I'd known some of this five years ago or five months ago or uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> and it's um, so it's not that it is revolutionary. It's just that we have to be reminded as professionals, sometimes we know things intellectually, but we don't always practice them in behavior. And that's really where this response is coming from. I wish I had known about not just the topic, but the importance of it. And we kept hearing that so many times. Catherine, I think it was your idea to throw it out there as one of the titles of the book. And it won the survey. You know, it was the most popular on the survey. So you have done a survey. You have done a lot of research. But I think it's fair to start with the two of you as individuals and your background, because I'm pretty sure it's an assumption, but I'm pretty sure that both of you had a lot of moments in your lives where you said, I wish I'd known this. So tell us a little <laughs> bit more about yourselves, what you're doing, but also what got you to the point where you are now. Shall we start with you, Brenda? Oh, I was hoping you go to my to my partner, Catherine, <laughs> first, but... Let me blaze the trail. Let me blaze the trail. Yeah. So uh, I have been doing this work for quite a bit of time, um, along with Catherine in particular. We've we're certified coaches. We're facilitators. We've been coaching individuals in large organizations around around the world for a long time, men and women. But a lot of our work has been around, you know, for and about women because we know that organizations that have more women in leadership roles and in highly impactful roles do really well. And so we want to do more of that. So I have been, you know, hands-on in, involved in that work for a long time. My background is out of financial services uh, industry, both domestically and 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 abroad, and uh, with federal government, U.S. Department of Education, and some other roles. Where I can tell you that, as I reflect on my career and how much uh, have enjoyed it, how many things in my career I have enjoyed how many times I have said, I wish I had known some of this then. It's not to say that I could have, um, you know, necessarily lit the world on fire, um, although maybe I could have in certain areas, but I know that I could have saved myself a lot of frustration, a lot of time. Uh, and and so these patterns that we talk about in this book I, are very, you know, personal and relevant uh, to me, as well as, you know, being a woman, a woman leader in a number of organizations in my past. So looking forward to sharing uh, some of that. I reside on the East Coast of the U.S., uh, up and down the East Coast, and uh, travel to wherever our clients uh, might be, uh, and uh, write with Catherine quite a bit on topics re related to this work. We've done some work with Harvard Business Review, uh, and then this is Catherine's third book. So on that note, I'm going to throw to my partner here and let her introduce herself yeah. as well. Thank you, Brenda. She's a great colleague and she can really write, uh, which is wonderful. I have also worked for the same firm that Brenda does, and we do two things there. One is coach. And Brenda and I figured out 
that between us, we've coached in the last 20 years or so, 800 women. And we had some patterns we saw over and over again, and we felt like we had to put them in the light of day. So therefore, this book. We also do leadership programs for women. Big companies hire us to, that they look at their pipeline and realize they don't have enough women at the top and they have to groom them and grow them. And that's what we do. So between the leadership programs and the coaching, we had this knowledge that we wanted to put out there. So being a coach and a facilitator of leadership development skills. Before that, I also worked in financial services and um, loved it. And my favorite job there was head of management and leadership development. And I wanted to go back and do that again. Before that, I thought I wanted to be an academic. So I went to school to get a doctorate and started doing consulting work with one of my professors and thought, this is a blast. Why do I want to be an academic? So I finished um, my degree, but always have stayed in corporate world, which has been wonderful. And, and Brenda and I do this work. I think we said this to you is because we really think the world will be a better place if there are more women leaders. And we want to do that. So anything we can do to grow women leaders, we do. First of all, thank you so much for your introductions. And I have so many questions about both of them, by the way. But, but Catherine, you just mentioned this wonderful sentence about we believe, you know, we could make the world a better place if there were more women leaders. What are the opportunities there? How can it be a better world? I think it can be a, a better world because I think that women are fabulous leaders. And um, many times we they struggle and I struggle too. And Brenda was just saying that with the confidence to go do that. So if we can do anything you know, step into leading in business world and non nonprofits, um, stepping into the taking the risk and being bold to step for the next role. They sometimes don't see themselves as being ready, but they are, I promise. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. We want to make sure women have all the confidence that they can do that next job that might be kind of a goal, but I believe me, I know they're ready. And wasn't that is really fantastic research? And I can't remember where it was, but perhaps one of the two of you can help me out there, where it says men go see a job description, you know, half of it I can do, <laughs> let's go for it. Women are like, no, can't do, can't do, can't do. And I need to be perfect. I knew it, I need to know it all before I apply for that role. Where was it again? I found it really astonishing. You know, one of it is I can't remember the research either, but it is widely understood and quoted, you know, and one thing that Catherine said around confidence is so true. And we sometimes pull that through in our work, in our coaching into work around finding, finding your voice and finding your point of view and understanding with confidence, how to put that out there, uh, whether that's talking about your own accomplishments or talking about your own value or how you can, uh, make an impact in that next role or whatever it is. It's, there's a language for that. And there's a voice that you have to pull through for that. We talk about this in a couple of the chapters uh, and how do we do that? What are, what are the things that get in our way and what are the things that we can do to make our voices more widely heard, more uh, confidently put out there. And so that's a lot of the coaching that we end up doing is around voice and confidence and personal power. You know, what does it mean to really pull yourself forward um, in that direction. Yeah. 
And it's one of the things that we talk about in the book and Brenda and I talk about is we all have stories we tell ourselves in our heads that hold us back. Like, for example, before I wrote my first book, I had a story. Well, I couldn't write a book. You know, you know I don't know how to do that. You know, I shouldn't do that because I don't know how to do it. Well, you, I figured it out. I got a new story and asked for help, asked some people to help me and wrote the first book. And so I have to change the stories we have about ourselves. And we talk about that a lot because what we know is our self-concept is based on two things. It's based on what we think of ourselves and what other people tell us. So we really work with women to change the story about what they think of themselves, that they have so much more potential than they give themselves credit for. Oh, absolutely. And and this example that you've just shared about writing your first book is an interesting one. And and I want to stick to that for just a moment, because from my perspective, it doesn't just start with, so how can I change the story and now step into taking the first step? It starts far earlier in terms of why am I wanting to write this book? Where does that urge come from? Right. So, so what was it like for you? How did you know I actually want to write a book? Now I need to figure out how. I had something to say, and, and this time too, because Brenda came to me and said, let's write a book. And I went, hmm, I don't know, it, it's <laughs> harder than it looks, and uh, it takes a bunch of time. And then I thought to myself, yes, I have something else to say. And that's what drove me, is that I had something I thought would help other people. So both of you are women leaders and have been women in leadership roles for quite some time. We don't need to talk about the years now, but it has been quite some time. And what I'm curious about, I'm pretty sure so are the listeners, is what has been your experience within organizations in particular, in your exec roles in the past, for example, fast paced sales, marketing roles on your end, Brenda, for example, in the US and the UK? I'm also interested about um, geographical differences, perhaps, and how you, what, or what perception you have had of how women leaders are being seen, um, what chances and opportunities were out there for you, and how you have created those. So any insights from the two of you would be wonderful. Wow, that's a big, that's a big question there, a big layout, big runway. Um, it's a good thought too, because sometimes this is so individualistic, but what Catherine and I have picked up and what we capture in this book is, is the patterns. Um, so what, what I have seen in, in my experience in, in different geographies and in different organizations is very similar to the things we touch on in this book. It's where, where are, and, and what I've seen by, for myself and some of my women colleagues is, have we staked ourselves out for the biggest impact we could possibly make? Do we set a direction for ourselves? And most often, uh, as we talk about in the very first chapter of this book, is it's important to set a direction. And I have often experienced, like I said, for myself and for, for many of my, my women colleagues, uh, we haven't really often done that. We haven't staked ourselves out to say, listen, here's what I really want. And I'm going to tell others what I really want. And this is a, a disadvantage for us. And we do I see it all the time. And I'm not sure if it's because we're outnumbered. I'm not sure if it's because of our own drawback around confidence and things like that and finding our voice. I'm not sure if it's because we are in certain systems that have a cultural rigor that 
sort of gives us headwinds. And it could be all of the above. But when we do things like these patterns that we talk about in the book, when we stake ourselves out, we have a greater opportunity and a chance to to get there. It's like if you're going on a trip, you have to know where you're going. And if you know where you're going, a lot of places, a lot of roads can get you there, but at least you can stake yourself out and say, that is where I'm headed. And you can make, you know, to make a different turn if you need to, or change it. And so often in my past and in colleagues that I've worked with who are women, we don't always take the time because we are so busy and we have so much going on and we are involved in the work, getting the work done, not just for ourselves, but for our teams. You know, we're very generous and nurturing in the environment. We take care of wide swaths of groups of of people. And so we haven't always done this work for ourselves to say, where is it that I'm trying to go and why? And then let the people around us know that. Can't tell you how many people we have coached and received feedback on. And the feedback is, I really want to help her get where she's going. I just don't know what she wants. I haven't heard her stake this out. So this whole idea of finding your voice around that and staking yourself out is one pattern that I have seen and experienced myself. And when you get your head around that direction, knowing it could change, but at least staking yourself out for something you want and finding language for describing that to other people, it's really powerful. It's bold and it instills confidence. And um, so Catherine, I'm going to pass to you on that one, but I think that's a huge one that I've, that I've experienced and I've seen at work. Yes. I mean, we uh, tell a story a lot about there's a woman named Sharon Allen and she was head of Deloitte, which is a huge professional services. She was chairman. And she tells the story that she got passed over for a job and she stomped into her boss's office afterwards and said, why didn't I get that job? And he kind of got quiet and looked back at her and didn't say he didn't say much. And she said, I've done da, 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 da. And then he finally answers and says, well, first of all, I didn't know you did those things. And that's the whole humility thing women have. Mm-hmm. And second, I didn't know you wanted that job. What is this talking about? You've got to stake yourself out. You've got to say, here's the direction I want to go. There's a whole chapter in the book because a pattern we see is that women are so busy working, they don't set a direction. They just kind of drift sometimes. And we call it career drift. And even if you, you know, just if you can't figure out a direction, figure out what you don't want to do. <laughs> and a, start somewhere, you know, head north. If you, you know, maybe you need to turn a little bit left after you head north, but get a heading and go. And, you know, I want, I want to go in this area and learn this, or I want to be a leader in this area. Go work it, set a direction. A woman called me yesterday who I've known for a long time and she had gotten a job offer and she wasn't sure about whether she wanted to take it or not. And we discussed it. And I think she was leaning to not taking it. And I said, well, what is it you want to do? She could do anything. She has a resume that is incredible. And, emotional intelligence and leadership skills. I mean, she's got everything. And she said, "Ah, I don't know. I said, well, your first task is to figure that out. And she began to do that. Well, what if I did this? And what if I did that? And and I think we've just got to help each other figure out what's the direction and go for it. 
And then not having that direction outlined perfectly. Brenna, you said it, right? We need to know at least where we are traveling to. Then there are different ways how to get there. And that's an observation that I have in myself, but also in women I'm working with, where the plan almost needs to be outlined perfectly. Right, right. Step one, two, and three. And that's what I now need to follow. Well, let's figure it out along the way. You may even have to take a U-turn in between, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that's okay, too. I think it's really important to consider that and to build this level of, as I like to call it, ease. So I'm getting excited again about this path. Yes. And we want women to do that. I mean, you don't, it doesn't have to be perfect, but just like, I want to learn a new skill or, you know, what, what I always think is people have a, they're given a job and it might be this big and then they grow it. And then it becomes this big, go grow your job. And that way you can, it makes you more flexible. That brings up two reflections. Um, one of them I find very important in terms of um, that career path is strongly connected to your personal path as well, because women, as well as men, um, have different roles in their lives, some voluntarily, some more forced, um, that we take on, right? And we can be partners to others, parents, friends, and so on and so forth. So how important is that we consider those different areas of our lives when making career choices? This is so important. And uh, Catherine will dive in here with me. We have a whole chapter that we affectionately call get a posse. And a posse is sort of a uh, term a term that uh, of endearment, really. It's uh, you have to have a gang. You have to have your own your own people around you. And one of the big disadvantages we women sometimes make, and men too, but when women in particular, because we have so many different areas of life to take care of, you know, like you said, family, uh, children, parents, friends, you know, the whole community. And um, we, we, for whatever reason, think that we can just do it all. And we tend to do it. We do take it on in full. And this is, this is in large part why we stay stressed and we're running from back-to-back meetings to back-to-back personal commitments, and we can be a little harried or frenetic, you know, in doing that. And what we want women to get a framework for, in particular, after reading this book and this chapter, is it is a mistake to go it alone. And it is so much more advantageous to be able to structure a, a support system around you so that you can go farther with a greater impact. This is a proverb that that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. And this whole concept of getting a posse is about going together. And one thing we do in this this chapter is we talk about how do you do that? What are the avenues of support? How do you build that for your career and for the personal aspects that will support that career? And so this is this is huge. And, and when we get a hold of this concept of uh, careers and personal paths really aren't me- we're not meant to do it alone. We can't really do any of this alone, but we have to be on purpose and deliberate about creating what we need to do that. And I, I'm I rem- reminded of my own uh, adventure to Washington, D.C. to fill a role there with the U.S. Department of Education. It was a big 
it was a big shift in terms of going from private sector to federal government in a leadership role, uh, knowing no one really uh, other than the people who brought me in and being asked to turn around an organization and stand one up that would be durable uh, around student loans. And I went there and grabbed this concept of posse. I'm sure my coach, Catherine Heath, had something to do with that back in the day, but but I deliberately took the advice and, and, and pulled together this, this unit of people around me and uh, advisors. Some of them had been old sponsors or mentors, colleagues who knew other people, but I created an entire network around me to create a new network within my new opportunity. But I also sat my friends and family down and I said, let me tell you why I'm doing this. And on the very worst days, I want you to remind me why I'm doing this. Because often it's easy to get into a slump or to get into a dead end or to to get stuck. And what we do with our families and friends is we we go out and we we give them the worst of it. Um, we give them the worst of it because that's how we you know get it off of our minds and sort of vent. And that's that's healthy to some degree. But uh, your friends and family, the first reaction they have is to take care of you. You know, they want to they want to. How can I help you with this? And suddenly everything in that big, bad work world environment that's pulling on you is the enemy. And it's really, really hard then to come back and share accomplishments because they look at you a little strange like they did me and said, wait a minute, last week you were complaining about this and now you're all jazzed up about this. And so I tried to get ahead of that. And and I tried to say, I'm going to have some bad days and here's what I want you to remind me of. Mm -hmm. And when I'm having really good days, I want you to make it even better for me. And that honestly, it worked for the seven years I was there. And I called on that group often to celebrate with me and to pull me out of, um, uh, and they were they were terrific, and I, it made all the difference in terms of my enjoyment of the challenge, the impact I ended up making, uh, and my decision to move on. So, long winded answer there. You can tell I feel I feel really um, you know adamant about it, but I know the impact it can make. Talk about being bold. This one this one can give you a lot of lift. Catherine, let me see what you would. No, I mean, Brenda, you're right. And and one of the things I say all the time is I had the story in my head when I was working in corporate America that if I asked for help from other people, that I would be seen as weak and I was trying to be seen as strong. And what I finally figured out the hard way is I needed this posse. And we call it sometimes a board of directors. You know, they don't meet, you don't pay them fees but they're your advisors. They don't sit at a table, but I would challenge you to make a list of who they are. Who are those people? Like Brenda can give us her list, but I want you to come up with your list. Who are the people that you need to go to? One of them needs to be what Brenda calls a career 911 call that somebody besides your family that you can call and go, oh my goodness, uh, you won't believe what happened. And you need that group around you and doing what I did, trying to go it alone is doesn't, you're not, it's too difficult. You're making your life hard. You need this support. They give you advice. They, I have one friend, she didn't literally slap me around, but she would sometimes go like, what are you thinking? (laughs) I was getting ready to take one job and she was like, really? You want to work there? Let me think through that. And I was actually going away from something instead of towards something. So you need these advisors to 
help you. And and we feel strongly, obviously, Brenda and I are going on and on about this, but um, that you got to have the support system around you. Oh, goodness me. Uh, the amount of times my friends still keep telling me you've got to ask more quickly for help. Yeah. I think I improved tremendously. But I also <laughs> know it's still one of my biggest developmental areas because of the reasons you've just mentioned. I've got to be strong and I was raised in a way, you know, you have to earn what you get and make sure you are strong and independent and so on. And those beliefs get slowly and maturely very, very ingrained in your brain. And in your DNA, really, and to step out of it requires those, as I call them also cheerleaders, those people who are on your side, and you know, you will get the brutal honesty, but that honesty with a lot of care, Kim Scott would call it radical candor more than brutal honesty, but just, you know, you can rely on them, they have uh, all the best intentions for you, and they are in your support network. And that is key. And I, I spoke to a, a wonderful senior leader um, over the last months that we have been working together. And we've built a very strong coach-coachy relationship and had a clear agreement on how we work together. And one of them was, I want to have your German directness, Kathleen. <laughs> so can you call it out <laughs> when you notice something? And I at some point called out um, the golden handcuff. Because I felt it in my intuition and everything she said so strongly, the way is out. Uh, and and have more impact in the world, right? But then we are going through this roller coaster of, but maybe not. And yeah. now we are stepping into another a recession and financial crisis, and not the right time. So we, I, I called it out. And I said, "Are we here in the space of the golden handcuff? How mm-hmm. is that influencing you?" Right? Just to get back to connect with us and what we are really trying to achieve. And let's talk about the nervousness. Let's talk about the fears. But at least you have some more data to think about when making your decisions. And you need those people to give you that data. That's a great example. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I want to come back to the impact women leaders can have. And Brenda, you said, you know, within those seven years, I had quite a bit of impact there. What was the impact you have had? Let's blow your oh, own trumpet. Man might be better to ask the people who are still there what that impact was, but (laughs) (laughs) bring them on. (laughs) Well, I I think in part, I was one of two women at the operating committee level uh, running the front end part of a business. So we were outnumbered, you know, and there was very much, um, there could be some language that would say old boys network. I'm not sure, you know, if that's the best way to describe it, but we certainly were outnumbered. And there were, there were, there was a dynamic at the time where key decisions could be often made with smaller groups. Uh, It looked like bigger groups were making it, but what you really had to do was navigate. You had to navigate what was happening outside of the room where you thought decisions were being made that's not uncommon. That was happening in the private sector too. But back to the, where is the impact? Part of the impact uh, was having a very strong core, long-term direction about where the business needed to go. And then secondly, it and, and that remains today. I've been gone for a while, but I know that the longer-term strategy is still in place and still moving uh, the needle for uh federal spending, at least at the front end part of that business. But the other part of it is, and I think we talk about this uh, quite a bit, is once you had that long-term thing in place, you had to assemble the right people, the right team to carry it forward. And so that impact 
is still there today. Many of those same leaders have weathered a couple of administrations now and they're still there. And that was, you know, a lot of that, when you think about this book and the mindset I had, the story I told myself going into that significant work is that this is too big. This is too big for me to impact. Uh, it's not organized. I don't. I don't know anyone here. If I if I was in an organization that I was familiar with, I could have a chance. But now I'm in the federal space where I know no one, and the dollars are big, and the policies are big, and the audiences are huge. And you had you had Capitol Hill, and you had White House, and you had all of these different groups. And so, one of the ways I was able to make an impact was to find that voice that connected to the long-term greater good and began to create a coalition of others to include my women counterparts, one of whom who owned operations. You know, if we could find a way to connect, then our, our combined voice in the rooms where decisions were being made could be bigger. Um, and by the same token, we could collaborate in ways that would stop bad decisions from being made. So I think in terms of longer term impact, Kathleen, it's really hard to gauge that now. But my understanding is the strategy is still strong. The digital space that we were moving the organization higher education into is strong. We made significant policy decisions that changed the game after you know 30 years of federal lending at the time. Uh, that made things more possible. And I give, you know, I think a lot of that had to do with the ability to create to, in this book, you know, talks about that direction and create that posse. Uh, I, you know, that posse helped make the sustainable things happen and, and, and remain there as an impact. So uh, that was a lot of, a lot of what, what was done there. There's another whole chapter in here that I think relates to that impact. And it's all about understanding where you are, in the process. And it's all about the GPS system. We call it, I think our chapter name on this one is operating on autopilot and installing a career GPS system. And you can, you can install that for a big significant work, work you're doing as well. The point is you have to know where you are with any endeavor, whether it's your own personal career or an accountability in an organization like the one I'm talking about. Uh, you have to know what's going on around you and you have to be able to put your ear to the ground and know what's not being said about you or about your work. Because so much of the change and impact that in my experience I was able to make came on the shoulders of my own credibility and how do I build that? And how do I build people who believe that and that I can influence and bring along with me? And that takes time. But some of those impacts are still there. Strategy, the budget to support it. So many of the leaders are still there plugging through from one uh, administrative change to the next, then um, it's, a, it's an amazing system to watch work. I believe one or even two awards followed for you. <laughs> they did, actually. It was, um, it, was, it was nice to see. I think there was a leadership award that the Secretary of Education at the time, you know, bestowed. And uh, I had, was a, a delighted recipient of that. But it was um, an end result of, um, of creating, I think, a strong strategy and a strong, you know, lasting team to push it forward. And I can't remember what else, but I had a great opportunity there to speak uh, on many panels and to do a lot of uh, talking about the customer experience strategy for uh, student lending in the U.S. and, and beyond and uh, what was going on in higher ed. And so a lot of these uh, personal leadership traits as a woman in those environments, you know, in those in that particular setting, so applicable. And I wish I had known in many of those years 
so much about some of these chapters. There's a whole chapter on preparation and practice that I wish someone had um, had cornered me and sat me down and uh, said, you know, you need to do this better. You need to pay attention to this more. Maybe I would have had more impact, Kathleen, to your point. Maybe I would have had greater, longer lasting impact, even uh, more so than than the way I felt like I left it. But it's a journey. You know, we learn. We learn these things. We have to constantly be mindful of it, change our stories and replace them, like Catherine said, with more useful and better serving mindsets than the ones we tell ourselves that get in our way. And I'm noticing so much how Brenda is literally really keen to go into the depth of the chapters and the patterns. And I promise you, you we will. There's so much we in will. here. There's so much good stuff in here, Kathleen. There is. There is. And I promise you, we will. You too, as individuals and as, as a team as well, are so impactful with your story slash stories as well. And Brenda, in our pre-conversation, you highlighted to me that one of your key posses, key um, contributors to your success is and was Catherine. Yes. So how did it come to the two of you collaborating and you, Catherine, to become this posse, this cheerleader and supporter uh, for Brenda in this case. I'm going to start because I don't think Catherine <laughs> was aware of all of that. Um, <laughs> she she became aware, but I have my side of the story too. So, <laughs> you know, I had an opportunity to to meet Catherine when she was leading all of the learning and development, creating a university for uh, the organization, the the bank that we worked for at the time, which became you know the top four one of the top four in the country back in the day and impressed by so many things. But I remember, you know, you have these moments where you where you find a leader that you look at and you say, there's about four things they do that I really want to adopt. And there were things about Catherine that, that I thought, you know, as I go through my career, I want to refine some things and be a little more like that. And those were things like uh, personal power. She, she was a very powerful and polished leader. She was calm under pressure. She had a way of influencing leadership, which was not easy at the time. And I talk about being a lone voice of a woman at at the top of her game there to influence uh, a lot of spend and a lot of strategic direction in, in that area, which she did incredibly well and smoothly and built big, great things. She then co-founded an organization that focused on women's leadership. And she started doing that work. And our paths had sort of gone in different directions. But um, I had finished my graduate work and reached back out to her, uh, I think during my days of back and forth to London, but reconnected with her and caught up on all the things she had been doing. I'd sort of been following the the work of her organization at the time, the firm that she and uh, her, her colleague co-founded. And I went to Washington and it was within two years time. I got a LinkedIn message from her saying, where are you? Are you in Washington? And you've got to meet our, our partner who's in that, in that market. And maybe we can do some things together. And that is really uh, what started. I jumped on that chance and met her for dinner. And uh, we started doing some work together at that point in time. So she may, may or may not have ever noticed that I, I picked up on, she taught me without me asking her to teach me. I I was studying. I I studied, I studied her. I studied what she did and how she did it. I was always very uh, proud of her work. You know, her, her books have been so impactful. She's a researcher. She's um, 
you know, she's a great thought leader and writer. And um, so, so she would be one of those cornerstone people that I always considered an advisor. She did uh, t- teacher, but also advisor. And I just, I didn't stalk her, but I didn't let her get out of my purview. <laughs> and I made it my, and I, you know, I made it a very, you know, a very deliberate thing to just stay in touch with her, you know. Uh, and, and it had been a long time, Catherine, I think, from the time yeah. I, I reconnected with you. And so there was this talk about stories you tell yourself. I hadn't talked to her in a long time. She's going to think I want something, you know, and I want to reach out and see if she wants coffee or whatever. So, but I, but I finally got, got over that and just reached out to her. And I'm glad I did. I think we do that a lot. Um, we kind of hold ourselves back if we haven't been in touch with people in a while, but, but that's really kind of where that came from, you know, as um, there are these people in your careers that if you, if you sort of uh, pick them out, learn the things you want to learn from them and, and make it your job to, to stay connected, uh, great things can happen. And in this case, I had the great pleasure of working alongside her for years and then writing with her. And I continue to learn from her every single day. So um, that's kind of how so that fun. On my side, that's how that came about. So. Uh, let me tell, Catherine, let me tell my side of the story. So, um, and we talk about this in the book that we all have a brand, we're all known for something. Brenda renamed it and it's called reputationality. But I remember, first of all, um, being in a meeting and Brenda was there. And I remember turning to a colleague and saying, who is she? I, I don't know her. And she said, oh, you need to get to know her. She's incredibly resourceful. She gets things done and she's fun. Uh, I'll never forget it. And so we did. We cooked up some things together, <laughs> drove some change, and she was exactly, and that was her brand. And and so I got to know her, and then we lost touch, and then got back in touch with each other. And, you know, I knew I needed that resourcefulness, uh, that person that gets things done, and she's fun. So we think that you ought to figure out what your brand is. Mm-hmm. What are you known for in the organization? We do 360s on people. I'm, I'm doing a bunch this week. And we call up and say, you know, what do you think of Kathleen? You know, what what was she good at? What 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 does she know? What do people say about her when she's not in the room? And we think that's crucial to figure out what are people saying about that? Is that what you want them to say about you? Or is it something else? You can change it. You can reinvent yourself. Uh, the story I tell is that I gave feedback to a woman that in her 360 that she was really strong technically, but people thought she was just a wizard and she almost teared up and she said, that's not what I want to be known for. I want to be known at my level as being a leader and I've got to change that. And so Brenda had a wonderful brand as being a leader and that's, we connected and we think that all women ought to figure out what are they known for? What is their reputation? And it's it's reputation and personality. So Brenda's personality was fun. So here's this woman who was kind of a magnet. I wanted to be part of her sphere and be intentional about your brand. What is it that you want it to be and, and work it? It sounds like when this brand is really strong, people see and recognize it and notice it right away. Because you both could describe one another very succinctly with three core components. (laughs) And I have to admit, I forgot the third one about you, Catherine, because you were described by um, Brenda as um, strong personal power, uh, calm under pressure. What was the third one? (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) 
You know, I, it might have been, well, I think I said influential, but also, um, you know, she's, she's enormously graceful with everyone that she deals with. And I think that's that's the word about Catherine. Talk about brand. Uh, n- nobody had to lean over in a meeting necessarily to tell me that, but you could tell that she was enormously um, generous and graceful with people. And that's, I think, carries her forward to today. I think that's the way to describe her today. Thank goodness, Catherine, they didn't lean over and say, don't, don't talk to don't her. Don't get to know her. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from her. I but know, it I shows you how important in a second those yes. things can happen. That's, um, you know, yeah. we've seen that happen the other way as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you, you got to figure that out is you, you know, we, we work a long time. A a career is a long time and we have so many stories that we can tell you about people who don't know how they land on others and they're not intentional about it. And you've got to get clear. How do you want to be perceived? How do you want to impact other people and work it? And we think it's a blind spot if you don't. And we can tell you so many stories. Um, I'm getting ready to give feedback to somebody this afternoon that I think has a blind spot and they're not going to be, she's going to be surprised at her impact and she can change it though. And now, now she'll know that, you know, what her goals are or not, she needs to turn a little bit. And that's what feedback is so powerful. That's why Brenda mentioned that there's a whole chapter in here about get a GPS, you know, how on your phone, it takes you exactly where you want to go. Get people who tell you if you're on course or off course, you know, like that woman that talks to you like and tells you you've made the wrong turn on your phone. And you've got to have people in your life and in your career that do that for you, that give you that GPS. So here's the interesting part, and that I, I love about the psychology of human beings, right? One what I see in some of the women I'm working with is that they are aware of a brand they would like to have, and then they get to the point where they are being described or, or their reputationality is being described. I love that word. I stole it today for another workshop, by the way, right away. Um And suddenly they put themselves under pressure to make sure everybody likes this kind of reputationality. Mm. So I give you an example. I always thought being very direct, I'm not talking necessarily blunt, whereby in the beginning I had also blunt spots, not blind spots, blunt spots. And I'm very grateful (laughs) still that that was highlighted and fed back to me. But being direct and challenging, but with a very empathetic side was a weakness. And then the more and more I fine-tuned it, the more and more I realized where the strengths lie in having this combination, the more I actually expressed it and noticed from the feedback that was coming, it works with a lot of people. And actually, these are the the people I attract as well who want this, Mm -hmm. right? Now, if I'm getting caught up all the time about, can I please everybody? And will I be everybody's kind of type? That can be very, very exhausting. Yet that's something I'm hearing very often. How can I be how can I be right for all the people around me? So, A, what's your observation when it comes to make reputationality fit for everybody? Um, and how can we release that pressure a little bit? Oh, it's a hard question. I mean, I think. You know, it's a reflection. What we know is that you learn from reflection and feedback. 
So you have to get centered in yourself. Is this what I want to, is this the impact, you know, like you, you would, you know, how, how sports teams on Monday morning watch videos of how they did and you have to play back in your head, maybe on your way home. How did I impact other people? Did I get what I wanted? Should I have done this? You know, maybe next time I've got to be a little less blunt. And then you also have to go and say, like, when this is done, Brenda and I will talk on the phone. Well, how did we come across? How will we do it differently? And and we get better at it. We, We refine our skill. I mean, I think leadership is a skill. You can grow it. It's not something you're given. It is something you develop it just like any goal that you have. You have to work on the skill of leadership. And I think if you want to be this blunt person, it's a very loving thing to give people feedback. It means you care. When you don't give anybody feedback, you don't care about them. So I applaud you for doing that. And I bet they, it's a very caring thing to do is to tell people, you know how you just impacted everybody? Uh, Is that what you wanted? And I think it's a, a, a very kind, loving thing that you're doing. I think of this in a couple of ways. And Kathleen, I'm going to think of your example. I'm probably going to put one of my own in here because I tend to be an accommodator, meaning that I really do want people around me to be comfortable. I want them to be, you know, um, open, you know, and and for my message to, to get to them and land on them the right way, right way in my mind, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's really two parts to this idea of reputationality. One of them, and and and, and it's important to think about it this way, given what you just said around, okay, I'm getting feedback on my style. Well, how do I make sure my style, you know, works? There's two parts to it. The reputation part to it is we have to decide what we're good, what, what is our credibility? You know, what's our credentials? What is our professional value add? What are what do we want to be known for there? You know, are you, you know, are you, are you the greatest speaker? You know, are you a great speaker? Is that what you're hanging your credibility on? Is it is it that you're a great writer? Is it that you are a great leader in a certain subject matter expertise area? But the, the reputation part of this is the what? Is what are you credible for? What do you want to be known credibly for? The, the other half of it is your personality. And this speaks to more to how. How is this done? And if you combine your personality and your credibility, that's where you, these things collide and c- come together. And so you could think about, in your example, you're thinking about, okay, well, I've got I've gotten feedback that I'm can be too direct or too, I love the, the blunt spots. Uh, that's, that's great. I might have to steal that one right back from you. <laughs> but the idea is about being on purpose with this thing. So if you say, then, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to be known for the following three words are going to pop up when people hear my name. And one of them is directiveness, you know, direct, you know, bluntness. <laughs> that could be, that could be the how that you have been known to deliver on one of your credibilities, you know, that you have been very forward thinking, very um, unedited, very uh, direct and uh, that may be very okay with you. You have to be okay and, and own it. However, you might say, I want to be, you know, one of the words on my reputation part of this, my credit credentials part of this is that I am an expert on what I know and I'm willing to share it. I'm professionally solid in this area and hang that on there. Now, the reputation part, your style, you know, your your personality, your core values, your, your delivery, all of these things can impact that. 
Catherine and I might have a very similar um, credential, but how we deliver on it can be very different because we're very different people. And so I would encourage us to think about it that way. I am an accommodator and sort of a, you might call, counter calls me a pleaser every now and then. I, you know, <laughs> to a point, you know, I am, that is true. It's lovely. And it's part of my brand. And someone always told me, don't fight that. Don't fight your brand, play into it. And so I have to play into the other half of the equation you're talking about. Yeah. You know, I've had people say my whole career, the feedback I would get is you got to be more direct. You got to say, you know, Catherine gave me this coaching in a, well, just a week ago. You got to be more direct. You got to say it. You got to put it out there. And so my struggle has been, okay, how do I do that in, an, in a way that is consistent with my personality? Yeah. If I get too direct or too blunt, people are going to say, who is she? Mm-hmm. And it's happened to me, you know, in times where I have to be blunt, because that's a side of me that people don't normally see. Mm-hmm. They see a negotiable side. They see an accommodating side. They see the side that says, let's all win here. Yeah. But that doesn't always work in every situation. So I think, you know, you just have to, you, you really do have to think about this stuff on purpose. It's work. You don't just roll out of bed tomorrow and, and decide to address the fact that people have always said you're too direct. What do you do about that now? And I think you have to find the, the way to calibrate the, the credibility part of your of what you do with the personality part of who you are and put those things together. So can you be less blunt, but more in fa- impactful at passing your message across the net yeah. to someone else? To add to to Brenda's, I would like to give our audience an exercise to do. So I give them homework here. Yes, Um, to add. Brenda just described it well. So um, I'm just going to build on that, which is take a piece of paper and write down the three or four things you want to be known for. Yeah. And, you know, if somebody was, you know, like a big uh, General Motors is a big uh, automobile company and they have a brand. What is yours? You know, what do you want to be known for? And write them down and then go see your board of directors, those buddies, those people that Brenda talked about hers in Washington and say, you know, I'm really thinking and noodling on how I want to land on other people. So, you know, what do you think I'm known for? And just get some feedback and see if what they're saying is matching what you wrote down. And I think you'll learn something. And I think it will help build your self-awareness and and help you be smarter about how you're landing on people. That's a great exercise. And you know what? It You can then also use the opportunity to check in or step into a dialogue about how can I get there? What's the impact I could have? So create a strong why if I adjusted my style in a certain way. And have a real qualitative conversation about it that lands with you as well. Because one thing that's important, I believe, is, and, and Brenda, you just highlighted it, it's the authenticity. Does it still feel like me? Yeah. I, or tr- am I trying to be someone else for the sake of pleasing somebody? That's right. And he- here's what we say about that is never violate your integrity. We never coach you to do that. If it's not you, don't do it. You'll get smarter. I mean, Brenda's very self-aware. She just told a wonderful story about herself uh, that shows her self-awareness. And, you know, you'll learn something. But we would never coach you to um, do something that does not feel authentic. Women won't do that. They are just, they will resist and say, that's not me. (laughs) What else is it that women don't do and won't do? 
Oh, I'll talk about this. I think women really struggle to talk about their accomplishments. And we talk about this in the book. We really, as part of this brand, if you are missed, people don't know your brand, maybe because you haven't told them what you've done. And you've got to be able to tell a story about yourself and about, you know, you know, I led this project. We um, cut cycle time. We raised more money. You've got to be able to tell people and, and you're not bragging. You're just reporting facts or I led a team that did this. Mm-hmm. Women really struggle with that. And I think it gets in our way because people don't know what we've done. Yeah, I actually um, I, I told the two of you that I um, ran a workshop today and one of the women shared some feedback she received from um, I think it was her line manager who um, witnessed her leading a team meeting. And her line manager basically said to her, well, you really have to show up more and show who's the boss. <sighs> well, going to leave that uncommented. But basically the conversation we have had was, what's important is that people understand who you are, what you stand for, what are your boundaries as well? How do you operate? So if you were to meet someone new at the party, how do you build connection? How do you build a level of trust and then hopefully a wider community as well? What would you like to know about the person and how you can then share that more with the people? Because she got so caught up about it's not in my nature to show I'm the boss because I'm a very collaborative leader. I don't need to have this title and and, uh, make it all about my ego. I lead from the back. I'm more than happy to let my team share their successes and so on. Cool. Well, how can you do more of this? Right? And make sure people share their successes with you and, and be the strong leader that you really want to be. But it was immediately in head, oh my God, what have I done wrong? What should I be doing more of? What do I need to talk about? Now I need to become this boss, but I'm not a boss. So many stories, Catherine, that were coming up in her head. And being a boss and being a leader can be similar but different things. And I would say, too, we we have to be careful as women leaders. We have to be careful not to ride behind a team too much. Mm. There is such a thing as um, letting that cover for the things we really are comfortable with. We, mm. we can stay back here and be comfortable and let the team carry all of the accomplishments and the credibility. But we're not we're not really doing fulfilling our role as their leader if we're not blazing a path to and helping clear hurdles and standing for something being the person who stands and owns that team's core values who owns that team's direction who owns those individual contributors as part of that team you have to follow them because you're their leader but you also have to lead them because there's a there's a line of sight you have at, in your position power, which I think is really important here is a leader has position power. Your friend that you were talking with has a platform as the per, her colleague called it the boss. You've got to be the boss. But if she could begin to think of it is, well, I have a platform. I am their leader. Yeah. And yes, I have to follow them because I'm their leader, but I also have another responsibility to them. And part of that is that I have to make my my thinking about where this work goes known. I have to be the amplifier for some of the accomplishments. I have to be, I have an accountability to stand out in front 
And that's a mind shift. And it is often really hard because we have almost always been collaborative contributors. And so can you think of it as, well, how do you leverage your platform, your position power, and combine that with who you are as a person, your personal power, and see yourself as an important colleague to your peer group? You're not only behind your team, but your team now is behind you as well. And it's that synergy. But that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of thinking and headspace and reflecting on your style, because this is what we hear from women all the time. And it's why the word reputationality was born, is that women don't want to, we don't want to fit into a canned, you know, box of who the company thinks I should be. We want women to say, yes, I need to have all of these credentials and and capabilities that everyone needs to see, but I need to bring the full force of who I am and what I believe in and what I stand for into that. And that's where the reputation and the personality, you know, combine. And I think that's what you're talking about here is it is not comfortable for her to say, I'm their leader. I'm going to hang back behind them and let them take all the glory. At some yeah. point, they're going to look around and go, where Where do we go now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So position power is huge in this, I think. And when you combine yeah. it with the personal power you have to bring, now maybe she can think about, okay, yes, I am behind them, 100%. Now, what do I do in the front? Yeah, and it's also about her becoming visible in the organization, Right, just so other people know who who is this person. What are other opportunities? So you open up your career path by becoming authentically visible as well. Exactly. Listen, we we write about this in the book. Is that we when we're doing three sixties, we heard over and over again that women weren't showing up well in meetings. Yeah. And so we did some research on that. And one of the things people kept saying is she's the smartest one in the room, and she's not speaking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is hard when you're not the dominant one, like Brenda was saying in Washington, she was one of two women. And you got to do something every day that kind of makes your butterflies in your stomach. And you got to, you know, go into the meeting early and say something, uh, arrive early and talk to people, you know, get it. So figure out what your point of view is on things that are on that agenda and show up in that meeting looking like the leader that Brenda talks about. You can't always lead from the back. You've got to lead from the front too. Thank you for mentioning some really wonderful and simple first steps. Yeah. Take yourself out of your comfort zone ever so slightly if it feels too uncomfortable, but do something that gives you that stretch. Yes. Yeah. And then it becomes part of your repertoire. Then, you know, it's easy. Yeah. One one more thing, Kathleen, about that dynamic you talked about, because I've run up against this in my career multiple times, and I know Mm -hmm. Catherine has too, but it's this pressure from the dominant group in the organization. In this case, in her case, it was her her boss, I guess. What he's saying to her, like, what is he saying to her? And what is, you know, what is it that the outcome of that needs to be? So, for example, I can remember so many times the pressure to make the tough call, show that you're in charge, show that you can downscale your team, you know, show that you can do the hard things, show that you can do, make the hard choices. And often I would interpret wrongly the direction to me, which is to be harder. Because in some cases, that definition of go be harder meant, you know, go show the team who's boss, Go do the things that didn't fit for me. So part of it is 
that pressure that you often get, or that we women often get, which is go show you're in charge, go show them who's the boss. Well, we have to define what does that mean? Mm. And for me, I began to interpret what they want to see is that I can make the hard decision because that gets you in the club. That was how you proved your wares to become, you know, someone who is capable of the next level because those hard decisions had to be made at that next level, regardless of, you know, some other, you know, other personal affiliations and affinities. And the world could be changing. That might not be a directive, you know, going forward so much, but Catherine, you, you probably experienced that as well. This, this, you know, this uh, pressure to, um, be large and in charge and show everyone what you've got. And if you can do that, then you can lead many troops. And the truth of it is that this is where we say, if women are doing more of this, it will be done, you know, somewhat differently, which is to focus on not just the strategic direction and the position power that we have, but how do we bring along great talent with us and keep that great talent moving and making an impact long after we're gone. And that is sometimes a woman's point of view on some of this. You got applause here from Catherine. I, I had to sense well that, that I, I have nothing to add. It was well done. It was either it was either good or you know that's it. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's important to this. There's so much nuance behind all of this that we feedback that we get. There, there is so much nuance behind it, and also you know the, the key pattern that I'm hearing here is how can we make it our own. So understand, and, and it's important that we go through the patterns actually just chronologically to say, okay, these are the patterns we have been noticing in our research. But then what can we do as women to make sure we make it our own and we overcome those patterns slowly but surely? What's one of the first steps that I can take as well? And that very, and, and I'm using the word again, authentically. So let's go through sure. them very briefly. You have you have mentioned at least half of them already, <laughs> but what are those patterns? Well, the first one is get a direction, which we've mentioned. You know, mm. we've said it. It's the first chapter in the book, which is figure out where you're going. If you, you know, go consult with people if you don't know. You know, one of the things we find is women are great at strategic planning for their company, but you've got to be the CEO of your career and get you're a company. Your career is a company and, you know, what is your brand and where do you want to go? Do you want to just keep going, Kathleen? Because the Please. next one sort of follows that and it's about um, lack of self-awareness. <laughs> and it's this one's fascinating for us and love it, love it because Catherine's the, the researcher here. But it turns out there's some research uh, that says that um, less than 15% of the leaders out there, workforce population out there are really, truly self-aware. The other 85% of us walk around thinking we're self-aware, but yeah. you know, <laughs> but yeah. jokes on us, turns out there's very few people who really are. And what we know about highly impactful leaders and, and people is that they work on this. They constantly are working on this and iterating, you know, uh, to become more versatile and stronger and better. And, and it does take take work. And we often don't actively reflect. We don't often go ask for feedback specifically about what we want to know from people we admire and want to know about it. 
we often don't take those new approaches and try them out because that's uncomfortable sometimes. And so this whole chapter deals with how to do that, how to actively go ask. We ask a lot of key questions in this chapter. We give uh, some good stories and examples. We give some uh, coaching thoughts. Uh, and Kathleen, this is like, this book is a lot of us can't go get a coach on our own necessarily, or we don't work for an organization that might necessarily provide that. So this book is sort of like having that coach on topics like this to say, do these things, think about these things, ask yourself these questions. So that's the second one. And we tell a story in here about this. I was coaching some women in New York and they had not done well. And I went in and asked why, you know, why did they get let go? Two women who had finally made it to the top. And basically what had happened is nobody, they weren't self-aware. They weren't uh, going out and figuring out how they were landing on people and nobody told them. So they were going blindly, basically. Yes. Just ran right off a cliff, just drove right off. And nobody, you know, there was no warning. There was no yellow blinking light. And, and when I interviewed people, they said, yeah, you know, at this level, they're supposed to know. And, you know, it's uncomfortable to give feedback. What we know is the higher you go, the less feedback you get and women get even less. So you, if you don't get feedback and self-awareness are tied up together, because if, you, if you're if you not getting feedback, then you're not self-aware. So it's just this dance. And, and we see a, a blind spot for many people that we coach that they're not self-aware of their impact on others. And you've got to go figure it out. So now an assumption could be, but women follow often her intuition. They notice when something is off and I highlight assumption, right? And um, are very empathetic. So may we not be asking more often for feedback, but it might not be the case according to um, part or chapter two here of your book. So what's holding women back in uh, specifically from asking for more of this feedback to enhance their awareness? I think what holds them back is sometimes you just don't want to know. I mean, it's a long day and, you know, you just think, okay, I just can't take anymore. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I do, you know, and I don't ask for it. And you want to assume that you did it well and it's hurtful. And what we say in this book is go ask for advice because feedback is kind of a heavy word. And what we say is, you know, Kathleen, you know, you were in that meeting with me and, um, I could say, give me some feedback, or I could say, you know, next time I did that, you know, what what would you tell me that, what advice would you give me about how to do it differently? And it's a much less loaded question. It's just a different question. And somebody would say, yeah, you know, you kind of went on too long, or you uh, cut so-and-so off, and you think, oh, do I interrupt people? So you start learning. That's a great tip. And again, such a manageable step, isn't that? Yeah. Here you have your two coaches on your shoulder, as you call it in the book. Number three, we actually spoke about quite a bit. That's the reputationality. Anything you would like to add to that chapter? I would like to add something here because half the battle, half the battle is knowing what it is that you want the world to say about you. Catherine talked about the three words and going and finding out what those three words are versus what you want them to be. And they can be aspirational. We've had Women we coach who say, gosh, I really want to be known for, you know, X, but I don't really have any experience there. Well, okay, let's go build that experience. So you can you can create an aspirational brand, um, but a lot of it's just because of how we work. A lot of it's based on what we currently do or what we've done historically. But the thing I want to say about this one is half the battle is figuring out the reputation, the, cred- the credentials, part of what you bring to the party. 
and your personality, which is who you are and what's unique about that, putting those things together. But the, the, the second half of the work is how do you get that message out in the world? How do you promote that? Or how do you communicate that? And this is what Catherine was talking about earlier that we're very hesitant to do because of many, many reasons, but often it's the way we're socialized. Often it is our distaste for self-promotion. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel polite. It doesn't feel appropriate. And yet there are ways that we can communicate things we care about, our point of view on things, uh, a wonderful new recent accomplishment or milestone that we've achieved in a way that serves the listener. It serves the audience we're trying to share that with. And we owe our organizations. And I think if women can get a hold of the mindset and stop with the story that says, if I, if I contribute this about what I have been doing, it's going to sound self-serving and change that mindset to, I need to share what has just happened at my, you know, on my watch that has created value for this organization because there are leaders and others in this organization who need to know that information. Mm -hmm. They need to understand that I, we just got a great compliment from the client. It's based on work I did. And I'm going to share that. We have to find a way to do it in a way that helps us shift from this isn't uh, this isn't a selfish reason to communicate this. This is a reason to communicate this because there's a value add here and that needs to see the light of day. And so we have to be able to talk about it in a way that shines some light on these accomplishments because no one in an organization is mind readers. Uh, I can't tell you how many leaders we talk with that they say, I love it when people come and share with me what they're excited about or what they just accomplished or something that happened great with a client because I can go tell others about this great value yeah. we're creating. If you keep that to yourself, no one benefits. Yeah. And so promoting yourself, talking about yourself, communicating your value, the things you care about, the things you're excited about. You have to walk around with a few little tidbits in your pocket every day, every week. And I always had those. I always had those walking around stories so that if I got stopped, and I did this a lot in Washington on purpose, if I ran into the right people that needed to know something, then I pulled out something I cared about or was challenged by or excited about to share with them because I knew it would help their cause to know that information. It just so happened I had something to do with it, right? That's how I found my comfort level with it. Uh, but it benefits others. It benefits our audience when we know how to do this. And that's, a, you have to work on that. That does, we do not roll out of bed in the morning knowing how to do that. It takes yeah. practice and you have to find your comfort level with it. Yeah. Well, it's a fantastic approach to, to start with how can you serve others by doing more of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you an example of reputationality. When mm -hmm. I worked at the bank, I was an academic, and that was what I was known for. And I kept getting in my 360 results that she doesn't know anything about banking. She doesn't know anything. And that finally just made me mad <laughs> after I kept getting it over and over again. So I wanted to change my brand, my reputation. I went one night and watched at the operations center. I went back a week later and watched what happened in the back room. I sat in the investment floor and watched them trade. I learned what a derivative was so I could talk about it. I went to credit school. I did public things that would show that I knew about banking. I sat in a branch, went to lots of branches. I watched mortgage loans be made. 
I did things that helped me learn about banking. And then I got my, and I, I built my vocabulary and I changed my brand. And then the net, I was always having 360s done on me. It didn't come up. I changed. Oh, really? I changed my reputation. Because wow. publicly, so you can change if you, to what Brenda's point, if you don't like what's there, then yeah. create a new story. Yeah. And you know what? I could imagine you've actually learned more about banking than a lot of other people. <laughs> what you've just described. That's what it sounds like to me. At least. <laughs> to me forever to learn where the derivative was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine my my sister, my brother-in-law work in banking and they took years to explain it to me. And I still... <laughs> <laughs> so how did that actually impact your leadership? Well, I think it gave me more credibility to Brenda's point. I wasn't just, you know, raised in an ivory tower. I had more credibility. I understood their world. Thank you so much. A fantastic example. I'm really grateful if we can make those chapters so much more relatable. So it's super helpful. Um, and again, for some wonderful steps. But we haven't come quite to the end yet, have we? There's still a bit more no. to come. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. Um. So, so operating on autopilot, you started to talk about that before, Brenda, but we haven't quite gotten into detail yet, in particular, what it means to install our career GPS. So where are we going and how are we going to go about that? Well, this is sort of, uh, we've talked about this one in our conversation today uh, and touched on it a lot, which is, you know, many times we guilty as charged, but also with many women that, that we coach, try to navigate a career without good guidance. Uh, and part of that is, you know, uh, finding feedback from sources that we know will shoot straight as opposed to uh, going to the comfortable spot and, and getting what we think we're always going to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but this shifts when you install a good GPS system so that you can keep your career from operating on autopilot. This shifts the accountability to us as professionals to go get it. We should not be waiting for the annual review or the mid-year review or the monthly check-in with you know leaders. We we should own this part of what we do and know at all times. You know, I love watching, I'm a sports person. I grew up playing sports. I watch it to this day. And I love the way athletes communicate in the moment during the performance, during the game, during the event. They don't wait. And granted, there's plenty of debriefing and there's a lot of coaching going on before and all that. But in the moment, they're talking about what matters on the ground. And I think as professionals, we could take take a page out of that process and and ask for it. Like Catherine said, in the moment, um, you know, walking into a room where you're having a major discussion about an initiative that you're trying to get funding for and asking a colleague, I need I need to really make this ask. I need you to help me stay on and give me some coaching uh, when we walk out of here about how clear that was. And do I need to do any follow-up because I wasn't clear? You've got to get specific and you've got to own it and what you want out of it. So we just think it's really important to set those things up. This, this whole chapter talks about how to cultivate that and how to get really good at that. And we know we're not good at it. Like Catherine said earlier, it's uh, it's something we'd really rather not hear unless we have to. Uh, because the first thing that happens when we get feedback is, you know, we know this from from delivering feedback over and over again is, okay, quickly, quickly get through the stuff I'm good at, you know, so what? Everybody's good at that stuff. 
move on. Now let me hear the bad stuff. And once I hear the bad stuff, I'm going to figure out who said it, <laughs> right? This is, this is our three-step process for going through feedback. And we think there's another way to do it. We, yeah. we, think, we think you should linger on those things you're good at. Because as Catherine says many times, we know that great careers are built on strengths. And when you know what you're good at and you know you can do it on purpose and you drive that into every challenge you have or every opportunity you have, you're going to have a more impactful, bigger, better outcome. So we women sometimes shrug off our strengths because we think that's just sort of anti in the game. And it's not. We have very unique strengths. And of all the things that help us operate, uh, get out of operating on autopilot and having a GPS is knowing where we can navigate and knowing we can do it, do things well and drive into that. And so that's what this chapter is about is flipping that mindset and flipping the ownership of going to get that, that direction on our own. I want to echo that. I know we need to move on, but you are going to get more career lift from your strengths. And that woman that, you know, says she leaves from behind yeah, that's a strength. She's collaborative. Yeah, she's sure. Of course, use that strength. She's going to get more lift. And could she use it more? Yeah, sure, probably. And, you know, find out these things that you're not as good at. And maybe you should learn it or you should just get somebody else to help you with it. Or, yeah. But you're going to, you know, just the physics of it is great careers or just go further if you figure out what you're good at. So you need your GPS has got to include your strengths also. Oh, I I echo that 100%. And I would combine it with probably chapter six in terms of trying to go it all alone. Use this network around you to help you overcome some of those challenges that truly get in your way, right? That could be crucial as as you did with learning about banking. Maybe you need a push from someone who says, maybe you connect with person X in the branch and, and shadow them for a few days if that's so important to you. Right. Just figure out what it is and change that perception of you. Perceptions might not be based on reality, but you can change them. Yeah. Ladies, do you have uh, time for one more question? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I see the calm in Catherine. Brenda's like, oh, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, calm, yeah. Catherine. <laughs> and that is all about missing the point of preparation. So that's a topic we haven't spoken about too much. You mentioned it um, um, once here today, but I think it's an important one. Where are we missing out on this point? Mm. Uh, I'm going to start there and then I'll let Brenda add because she's a a really athlete. I think she gets this. But let me tell you why this comes up. And the whole book is based on stories women have told us and things are struggled with. We didn't make this stuff up. This is comes from 800 women that have told us and we've watched their struggles and their things that help them succeed. So I'm coaching this woman. We just started and she says to me, well, this board meeting I did last week didn't go the way I wanted to. And so I had her describe it. And then I said, and how did you get ready? She said, oh, we worked really hard on the deck. And I said, well, what else did you do? And she said, well, you know, we got the deck done. (laughs) And what, you know, I said, well, you know, are there other things you think you should have done? And she began to realize that she had not talked to the people who were going to be in the room about the idea that she had. She had not anticipated questions that she might get and rehearse those. She had not practiced, you know, her presentation and timed it. 
she had not gotten her point of view clear on some areas that they were going to resist in. And she wasn't successful. And again, we think leadership is a skill. You have to work it. You have to get better. Like if you're a golfer, you work at it. If you're a musician, you work at it. If you're a tennis player, you work at it. And leadership is a skill and you have to practice it and prepare. Amen. Uh, I'll, I'll add to that a couple of thoughts. One is that what we know also about really impactful people that we've worked with is that they are clear, very clear on their outcomes. And when you listen to some of the top athletes, I, I think about the great swimmer, Olympian swimmer, Michael Phelps, you know, who's, who's now in, I guess, retirement now, but uh, boy, did he have a nice run of gold medal after gold medal. And he talks about this very idea about you have to see exactly what you want to have to happen. And he uses visualize, visualization, he, you know, knowing every stroke of every lap and how that's how he wants that to go and putting himself into that place, not just mentally, but physically. And we're professionals. You know, we should be doing the same thing. Why is it that our craft suddenly is exempt from the rigor of knowing what our outcomes need to be and working at our craft? And that's what this chapter is about, is what are we doing to up our game and to refine our craft and our ability in it? And if we're not doing that, um, we're going to suboptimize ultimately our value. And so this is really a chapter that is beyond rehearsal. I mean, there is a lot in there about rehearsal. Catherine just talked about it. So important to know what your intention is and how you're going to come across and all of those things. But it's also things like, you know, it's a routine of knowing, you know, what, what's coming at you. How much time do we spend when we're walking into a presentation? Okay. We've rehearsed and we've got a great document and it's got all the right numbers in it, but how much have we really rehearsed? What's going to happen to, to the objections that are going to come our way and how are we prepared to handle that? How much of that can we get ahead of? It's all about building in time to anticipate what's going to happen. How do I collectively uh, refine my point of view on this and socialize that and influence that day to day? It does have it has nothing to do with the formal presentation. We're so busy, and we know this from working with women, is that women are stretched. We have a lot of accountability on our plates. So many women take on roles, interim roles. In addition to their own role. So, yeah. you know, it's not uncommon for us to coach women who are doing two and three things at a time. But what we often say is getting the work done is, is only part of getting the job done. And we think that there's going to be something that, that builds incremental lift and impact when we relegate routine time to focusing on our craft and preparing and practicing that exactly the way a musician goes over a very difficult uh, measure in a, in a piece to make sure it's refined. The very same way the late Kobe Bryant used to go into rigorous workouts after a game to work on the basics. So that fadeaway jump shot looks like he woke up yesterday doing it. And the truth is it's practiced over and over. All of which circles back to one of the comments we had at the beginning, which is confidence. And when you prepare and practice with rigor and, and discipline, it shows that the confidence you have in what you're doing and what you're speaking about is incrementally better, deeper, and more, you know, more useful. And then I want to add to that. It's not just that you are mastering the skills and you feel more confident. 
you also feel you have a bigger impact. You can deal more easily with unexpected blockers that come your way, because I, I agree with both of you to preempt those objections, right? So crucial. But you build a level of resilience. Yes to respond differently to what comes your way in that moment. And that gravitas shows and adds mm -hmm. to your visibility in that moment as well. So this is worth the investment. And yes. you rather need to ask yourself, what do I may have to let go of, right? In terms of just not doing it anymore, challenging it, delegating, you know the time management drill. Yep. But what's crucial for you to focus on and to master? What we say is put it on your calendar. If it's not on your calendar, it's not happening. Yeah, I agree with you. So it has impact on your brand. I mean, think of the reflection yeah. of your brand when you do this really well. And so all of these things start to, to feed in together when we're, we're in a mindset of being prepared. So last but not least, let me close that loop from the that I started in the beginning when I asked Catherine, so what is this impact women can have on bettering the world? And you said, well, women are better leaders. <laughs> what? <laughs> and you, you spoke throughout this conversation about we uh, work more strategically, for example, right? We um, may show real care for others. What else is it that we can contribute to this world within and outside of organizations? I mean, women can create a new tomorrow. I mean, we have uh, women really care about not just the work that gets done, but how it gets done and creating a wonderful workplace. They care deeply about that, the women I coach and work with. And they can make uh, our workplaces better. And it's not that it, they're great, what I call social architects, mm -hmm. and they will make the workplace a better place. It's built, the workplace is built on some old models and they can make it better and make our world better and address some of the issues our world is dealing with. A, a lot of women we coach, they're doing their job, but they're also working on climate or they're working on housing. Um, women lead in so many realms and they have wonderful hearts and we just think they'll impact the world. And we want them to find their power and to think better of themselves They're so good. Every woman I coach is just fabulous. She's got incredible strengths. And we we always say, you know, go bold, go bigger. Yeah. The, the only thing I would add to that is, uh, you know, women helping pull other women up. Um, there's this spirit of collaboration that we, we see with women at, at this level and of sponsoring other women. Mentoring women is fine, but sponsoring is even better. Can you grab someone and pull them up? Can you help a colleague? Can you add your voice to the others uh, around that table and make a difference? And many of the women that we coach are in, are in positions to make a difference along those lines. And I often ask them, who are you pulling up? Who are you, who are you bringing along beside you and behind you? And what are you actively doing on purpose around that? And I think, you know, when women start doing that, it's, um, you know, it really will change pipelines It'll change the pipeline structure within companies. It will change, um, you know, to Catherine's point, the the dynamic inside organizations. This, this whole experiment with the pandemic and testing what women have been asking for for a very long time, which is how do we how do we flex? You know, how how do we make work possible with the demands of of life outside of an organization? And so there's this blending effect that women can have a huge impact on to make their careers more sustainable and impactful and 
collaborative. So, so much can happen. This is really, in, it's really endless, honestly. And um, to the listeners, I'm pretty sure you realize we could talk on here for another That's hour at least. Um, <laughs> I can only highlight that the book has so much more gold in it. Uh, and obviously, you can contact you. Um, Brenda and Catherine anytime to get support. If you want to have a coach, coach that's not just sitting on your shoulder, but that's with you right away <laughs> along your path. So therefore, to the two of you, could you please share with the audience where they can find out more about you and in particular where they can get the book? Absolutely. A couple of places. First of all, you can, um, our company is called Bravanti, B-R-A-V-A-N-T-I, Bravanti. It's a mashup word. It's, it stands for brave and moving forward faster, Avanti, which is the Italian word for moving forward faster. So you put those two things together and it's uh, our call to action, which is go forward faster together. Bravanti.com. You can find out a lot about us there. Uh, you also can um, can find the book on Amazon. Uh, dot com and and I think there's more information about us in the links there. We're also on LinkedIn. Both of us are, and so we'd love to hear from you or anyone, Kathleen, from your audience that would like to to go deeper on this topic. Absolutely. And um, last but not least, I want to say thank you to the two of you for not only joining us, for spending this generous amount of time and for sharing so many wonderful insights and experiences with us. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for having us. We enjoyed it. And I enjoyed your energy. And uh, thank you so much for everybody who has been listening to us here today. And as Brenda highlighted, please do let us know what you thought about the episode mm -hmm. and what we can do for you, how we can support you along the way. Any question is also welcome. And I would say, don't just go um, faster, go bold and fast. <laughs> Use Catherine's word here and make this um, world a better place together with us. Thank you so much and have a wonderful week. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.